tangent. To break off suddenly from a line or train of thought. And pursue another course. Webster's. and welcome back to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. This is a show where two brilliant if I could speak, this is a show where two brilliant and insightful podcasters discuss, dissect and review all things dealing with the Tangent Universe. Of course, those brilliant and insightful podcasters were actually denizens of the Tangent Universe. So here on Earth Prime, you've got myself, Sean Ingle, and my co-host, Mr. Michael Bradley. How's it going, Michael? Oh, thank goodness. You <laughs> had me feeling a little awkward when you said brilliant and insightful because that's not me. So yeah, th- I thankfully, thought I, on, I thought I was on the wrong podcast. Yeah, thankfully our Tangent versions do such a better job of this. Okay. Anyway, this time out, uh, Michael and I are going to cover some books that bridge the gap between the second series in nineteen, the second Tangent series in 1998 and Superman's Reign in 19 not to 1909 2009 2008 you know i wrote this and i can't even get it out right what is wrong with me we need to get those tangent characters in here we need to transfer them in here and do this show anyway the books that we're going to be covering today are ion guardian the universe numbers 10 through or 8 through 10 and justice league of america number 16 and i'm going to put my uh my refreshing adult beverage down because I need to stop drinking before we do the show. <laughs> How's it been going, Michael? Really good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting into Superman's Raid. And like I said, uh, I have not read it yet. I'm looking forward to reading it. I'm looking for, you know, I've looked at the covers. The artwork looks good. Uh, I know it's written by Jerkins and Mars throughout there. So this looks like fun. And I'm also getting to read some of these interesting comments that are sort of bridging the gap between the end of the tangent line and this new uh, Superman's reign story. And uh, I, I actually, I'm kind of intrigued by the Ion story, so I might have to actually go out and pick this up. A lot of this stuff is a blind spot for me because, and like I've said many times before, at the time I wasn't collecting comics. So uh, th- this has been an interesting read for me. Yeah, it was fun seeing the tangent characters interact with the DC characters in these books, even though their interaction was short. So, um, like you, I'm really looking forward to getting back into Superman's reign and and kind of exploring that. Um, I did read it when it first came out, but like I said in a previous episode, I don't remember much about it, so I'll be um, looking at it with kind of new eyes as well, so... Cool. I, like yeah, like I said, I'm I've been thrilled by all the tangent stuff we've had before. This little transition piece is going to be interesting, and I'm looking forward to Superman's reign. So it, it, it's also interesting. Sorry to interrupt you, but oh, no problem. Um, you know, the all the books we've covered till now came out in 1997, 1998, 
and now we're into books that were from a decade later. So we're looking at somewhat different artists and uh, different storytelling approaches and that kind of thing. So that's interesting too. Yeah, well, and it's also a new regime. Uh, back yeah. then, it was uh, yeah, I'm assuming it was Paul Levitz, and you know the, the now it's in the Dan DiDio era. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm say what you will about that there's a different feel to the books um it's not a negative thing it's just it's just a bit different in the way that characters are being written and all that but i think for these transition books having people like Dwayne mcduffie and ron mars write the stories they're two competent capable writers so they give uh good character development to the characters from the tangent universe and the characters that are actually in the dc universe as well yeah but before we uh, ha- talk about the comics, do we want to go ahead and read some emails from some folks? I think so. Okay. Well, we'll start out with our first one, which is from Gene Hendricks, and he writes in about the story Tales of the Green Lantern. He says, Sean and Michael, so this is what would happen if EC published superhero books. That's the answer to a question I never knew I had. But coming from a guy that has a copy of Creepy Number 1 on my shelf right next to Crisis on Infinite Earths, I guess there's a reason. It's a satisfying answer. We're back to the Phantom Stranger version of Green Lantern here, since we have three different origins for the character, and the reader gets to pick the one that they like best. This sounds like a bo- another book that I'm going to have to pick up. Oh, definitely. I agree with Sean. I can definitely see Lois Lane as a Soldier of Fortune. Of course, whenever I hear Soldier of Fortune, the A-Team theme starts playing in my head. So now I'm dealing with a Tales from the Crypt-like story with 80s action theme music. <laughs> It's going to be an interesting day. That that'd be kind of neat. Pa Brockus taking down hordes of undead. I, I, I'd 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 pay for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm certain Stephen J. Canell could put a show together like that. That'd be fun. <laughs> but uh, that's Gene Hendricks who wrote in, and he's the uh, podcaster who's behind a lot of shows over at Two True Freaks, including Anime Freaks, the uh, Hammer Podcast, uh, Legends of the Superheroes, and I'm trying to think. He does another one. Um, anime freaks yeah and my oh, quantum cast that's oh, what he okay. did the quantum cast actually just came back he did a one kind of recently so check those out all over at two true freaks yes and next up is a bit of website feedback from jadeen and she's written into the show before so thanks jadeen for continuing to write in and this is a comment on episode 14 which was the joker's wild um issue episode issue sode and jadeen writes teen titan Oh, she's she's quoting me here from the episode where I commented that the uh, <laughs> the uh, the Teen Titan character looked like Joe Schuster had been channeling the future spirit of Rob Liefeld when he was designing Superman's costume. <laughs> so Jadine writes, "Oh dear Lord, I have not laughed and cried so much. I'm telling my fellow Tangent lovers and friends about this line. It's gold. Also, in regards to the character John Keel." I have no recollection whatsoever of this character's name in the DCU either, but I think he might be one of the few original Tangent characters, and I've also always thought that this name is a bit of a joke. A dark one, considering, but still one. In the first Joker comic, when he's looking up information about him at her hideout, his, f- his full name is stated as Officer John A. Keel. John is a pretty common first name, but if you think about it, A. Keel, phonetically, you get a kill. If you pronounce keel the same way as silence, I kill you thing from a few years back, but eh. Couple that with the backstory he has, and, well, the symbolism be- behind his existence slash name might take a little bit more sense. 
might sorry might make a little more sense. Take off fancy hat and monocle. It might be a stretch, but at the same time, but I thought I'd put it out there. Um, I could buy that as sort of a, you know sort of just a punny joke that they put in there, mm-hmm. rather than it uh, taking an existing character. You know, it, it, either way, it works. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't really all that fleshed out a character, so he didn't have to be all that important. But he, just putting as a funny jokey type name that works as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he really didn't get. Uh... Uh, fleshed out too much at all in the second issue, did he? No, not really. More on the Joker and the, the other Secret Sixers, but... Yeah, he basically got, in the second Joker issue, he, he basically got wounded in the firefight with the OMAC, and then he was sort of you know, taken out of commission right. for the rest of the issue, so there you go. But Jadine also writes in with another website comment. This went on Parallel Lines episode number 15. She says... I was surprised, but also glad to hear that Sean is a fan of Paul Pelletier. Well, that's good to hear. This comic was the first time where I saw his art, and I absolutely loved his take on the characters, especially Leah. It made me an instant fan, needless to say. In fact, there was one Leah artist I would pick to do the art duties on a future tangent flash comic once again. It would be Pelletier. The way I figure, between Lolita Leah as a... (laughs) Wow, Lolita, that's dark. From Gary Frank and cute, bubbly teen Leah from Pelletier, the choice would seem more obvious. And I don't slightly mind Frank's art, so, um, yeah. Not to Other interrupt than, you, but it kind of makes me wonder if she's seen the Leah that we're going to be talking about. Uh, yeah, the, the this will be something I'll be commenting on uh, later in the issue because, yeah, I'll have some things to say other than that i'm glad to see that you guys pretty much hit all the important spots on this one i was i was the one who commented on the other flash episode with my very biased possibly rude fan insights and was happy hearing that you guys say this comic was excellent and that you enjoyed it much more than the first one the back matter for this comic is a bit frustrating but because dezago let slip a detail that we might have seen developed even more had there been a third way to obtain it Heck, maybe even an answer to why Leah was undercover in her father's team in the first place, and other questions. Now, uh, I'm trying to remember what that was. Are we talking about Leah actually being a part of her father's team and sort of working kind of with him to have his little experiments or his little plans go awry? Mm -hmm. As that's kind of what we're thinking of? Yeah. Okay, that was the... Okay, well, that makes sense. You know that that would have been interesting if, if again, going back to the concept of the, if these were ongoing comics, seeing every once in a while Leah show up in the comic and foil her dad's own plans as sort of a wily coyote <laughs> comedic role. That'd be fun. Yeah. Uh, she finishes up saying, "P.S. I realize this question comes about fourteen to fifteen episodes too late, but what is the closing song? It's really nice, and as far as I know, this podcast is the only place where I've ever heard it." Um, do you want to go ahead and take that one, Michael? It's from, and I'm blanking on the movie title now. It's the the movie it's ha- where Will Hancock, S- isn't Hancock. it? Hancock. Okay, yeah, where Will Smith plays a superhero. He said using air quotes. Yes. Uh, basically, it's just Will Smith with superpowers. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and and the thing is, the the movie is somewhat. No, I've never seen the movie, so I, I I've seen. I can't see. I've seen it all the way through. Uh, yeah, it is pretty much Will Smith as a superhero, and he's got essentially the the powers of Superman. He, he's got flight. He's got super strength. He's got super speed. I don't think he has like X ray vision or anything like that. But the 
basic idea of it is he's kind of he's kind of a drunk and kind of a jerk hmm. and he <laughs> misuses his power to to an extent where he's usually causing more damage when he tries to cl- capture criminals than he's actually doing to help and he gets a PR agent in the guise of oh I can't remember he's the main guy from Arrested Development and uh, you can put his name in here if you want to and he basically gets with him and his wife Charlize Theron is of the same race that Will Smith is and whenever they're together they lose their powers or something and it's it's an interesting film, but it, yeah, I think you described it as Will Smith just being Will Smith, but as a superhero. Yeah. There, there's one moment in the film where supposedly, Jason Bateman. yeah, Jason Bateman, that's the, that's the person. And there's one film where, uh, Will Smith as Hancock decides that he has to go to jail to pay for his crimes. And he gets thrown in lockup with a bunch of people that he's put in there and he basically tells that he, you know, tells one of these people who's uh, trying to approach him aggressively that if he doesn't leave him alone, he's going to shove his head up some other guy's hmm. butt. And supposedly that happens. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how okay. it happens. So yeah, there you go. It's it's not it's not a really pleasant movie, but it's a movie. Is it a comedy or is it kind of dark comedy? It's kind of a dark comedy. Okay. There's also there's also d- a deleted scene that I think is on the uh, l- there's a deleted scene that's on the Blu-ray or whatever that's also very dark that I don't even want to get into discussing. Okay. You know, it it, it involves um, it, it involves a version of the uh, Man of Steel, Woman of Tissue idea. So right. d- d- don't even don't even go any further. Sorry, well, the, JD. We went on a horrible tangent there. Well, I apologize. Yeah, I mean, the movie doesn't sound like something I would necessarily enjoy on repeated viewings or even once. But the 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 music I thought was good, and, and it really does kind of fit the end titles there for the for the show here. So yeah, so I was going to something that was instrumental or, or just just music, you know, because we had the uh, the opening theme there has the lyrics with it, so. Mm-hmm. And I, I will admit, yeah, the movie not so great. I, I'm surprised the soundtrack, at least that final song, is outstanding. I mm-hmm. love that song. It just it it gives me the chills every time I listen to it. So oh, good. Uh, but we've got one more piece of feedback for this episode, and this again comes from Gene Hendricks, and it's about the Power Girl uh, issue that we talked about, and the subject is Pow Pow Power Girl. And Gene's email is Sean and Michael. This was one of those books that I saw the design, and like Sean, I saw the art and said, okay, that's not for me. It does sound like an interesting story. It does sound like an interesting story, though. I do like the Power Girl is actually the 2.0 of Supergirl, like they did in the Justice League Unlimited episodes. The use of the Metal Man again is also a nice touch, doing more world building and continuing the story of those characters. I do like the double, triple dealing covert action and geopolitical intrigue in the issue. While the issue is essentially named for the character that is in the least, I still think that the story sounds pretty satisfying. Yeah, there's some serious science issues, but comics. Gene. P.S. Sorry for spoiling the end of Mystery of the Batwoman for you, Sean. I'll make sure to put in spoiler warnings for any other 12-year-old references that I make. (laughs) 
<laughs> no, that's on. That's completely on me for not uh, keeping current on the DC animated stuff. I know that I still need to see Mystery of the Batwoman. I'm pretty certain I've seen most of Sub Zero, and I know I've seen the Return of the Joker, the Batman Beyond one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, unfortunately, I haven't kept up on most of the recent uh, DC animated stuff. Like I haven't seen Throne of Atlantis. I haven't seen yeah. Justice League War. Same here. Uh, I think I saw Justice League Doom and I saw the Flashpoint Paradox, but after that I just kind of dropped out. I never really cottoned on to the new style of the animated movies that they came out with. I, I really enjoyed the take that they had on you know, the Justice League animated shows, the TV shows, mm-hmm. but when they changed it up for the movie, I just wasn't as into the into the anime, animation style. Yeah. But uh, thanks, everyone, for writing in with your letters. Uh, Keep on writing in because we've still got shows to go, including this one, which we're going to be covering uh, a couple of books, Ion and Justice League of America. But before we do that, do we want to go ahead and take a little break? I think that's a great idea. Okay, we will be right back after these podcast promos, everyone. This is an imaginary podcast, which may never have happened. The Shortbox Showcase. But then again, may have. About a father and daughter. I'm Professor Allen. And I'm Emily. Who came from Ohio and talked about comics. Walking Dead. Tintin. Black Lightning. White Tiger. It tells of their rise to glory when the great guests were yet to be booked. Let's put it this way Shogun Warriors wasn't going to win any Eisners. And the great feats of editing not yet performed. And this is Ultra 7, this is Ultraman Jack, and this is Ultraman Taro, and this is Ultraman Leo, and this is Ultra of how they spoke at length. This continuity is really the brainchild of nitpicking nerds the world over. But to be fair, the best kind of confession is the Force Confession. And reviewed in brief tales that explore creatively the bounds of a given character's history. Red Sun is wonderful with a very strange ending. Of brilliant creators before their fall from grace. This is the era where Miller is at the height of his creative and artistic powers and the ability of strong writing to encapsulate and transcend its time. Flash of Two Earths by Gardner Fox. This is an imaginary podcast. Aren't they all? Shortbox Showcase is part of the Relatively Geeky family of podcasts. Check us out on the web at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com or search on iTunes for Relatively Geeky or Shortbox Showcase. And remember, we're not experts. We're just family. So this episode, uh, like Sean said, we're going to be covering a few books that sort of bridge the gap between the second tangent wave and, and Superman's reign, which... We're actually going to start covering next episode. Uh, before we get into those issues, though, I do want to point out that these aren't the only appearances of tangent characters between 1998 and 2008. If you head over to the website at greatcrypton.com, you'll find a post that I made which outlines all the appearances they made in those uh, in that decade or those 10 years. And there were about a dozen of them. And we've decided to cover just these ones because... Most of the rest are just like one panel cameos and don't really have any, you know, story worth that would really lead to discussion beyond, yeah, there, there's that character and he or she looks good. 
So, uh, <laughs> but but because I'm a bit of a completionist, I did want to collect them all into one place. And I also thought, you know, you folks out there, the listeners, would would enjoy seeing them too. So, again, head on over to greatcrypton.com and check out the post because it'll it'll help document the the course the characters took, or, or at least the use of them, anyway, uh, between the two series. So, that out of the way, Sean. Okay, I'm ready to get into this transitionary era. This is Ion, Guardian of the Universe number 8. It was cover dated January 2007 and released on November 15th of 2006 with a cover price of $2.99 US and $4 in Canada. The title was Princess of Alet, Elite. A light, something like that. The writer was Ron Mars. The pencilers were Paco Diaz and Yvel Goucher. The inkers were Paco Diaz and Joseph Rubenstein. The colorists were Tanya and Richard Horry. The letterer was Bob Lee. Associate editor Janine Schaefer. Editor Eddie Braganza. And the cover was by Kalman Androsovsky. Try and say that. As the monitors do some monitoring, Kyle Rayner, now reimbued with the power of Ion, heads to the planet of Alight to make amends for Alex Nero mucking things up on the planet. His reparations basically consist of him flighting gladiator style in a John Carter Warlord of Mars arena to satisfy some hacked-off faction on the planet. Of course, Kyle wins and gets rewarded by the princess showing Kyle her yummies. Unfortunately, Kyle gets blocked by fellow GL Guy Gardner, who brings him some bad news about his mom, while elsewhere, a couple of kids in a treehouse in California discover a strange-looking green lantern that starts to glow a bright green. And this this story has really very little to do with the Tangent Universe except yeah. the last page, yeah. and I really don't have all that many notes for it. Uh, it is interesting. I, I'm wondering why Kyle had the power of Ion back, so I did a little research. I guess once uh, Jeff Johns took over Green Lantern and started writing again, the uh, the powers that be said that the Guardians were going to make uh, Kyle the herald of the Green Lantern Corps, so they gave him back the Ion power. Plus, also, I guess they killed off Jenny Lynn Hayden, and Jenny bequeathed her power to Ion as well. Oh. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting. I guess Jenny, who was Kyle's girlfriend for a extended period of time during the Jed Winnick and Ron Mars run of Green Lantern died and gave her power to uh, Kyle. So thanks, Dan DiDio. We appreciate it. <laughs> Did you have really anything to say about this issue? No, I mean, it, I didn't even really read the main part of the issue, just the last page there, which is really all that's pertinent to us. And mm-hmm. it's just, you know, two, yeah. two cute little kids finding the, the lantern in the treehouse. So, yeah, that's basically it. You know, I, I, I mean, it's important. Don't get me wrong, but there's just not a lot to say about it. Yeah, the, the main por- main portion of the issue really has nothing to do with the Tangent Universe. It's all about Ion, but I thought it was kind of interesting, and it mm-hmm. it makes me want to pick up the Ion series regardless, Yeah. Uh, despite the fact that it's not going to be covering the Tangent Universe. So I may go back and check to see if I can find these issues in cheapy bins. But anyway, that leads us to our next story, which is Ion Guardian Universe number 9, which came out in February 2007, was released on December 20th of 2006. Same cover price. The title was Off on a Tangent, with the writer being Ron Mars. The penciler this time out was Fernando Passarin, the inker with Jonathan Galpion. The letterer was Rob Lee. Colorists again were Tanya and Richard Horry. The editor was Eddie Braganza. And the cover art again was by Kalman Androsovsky. 
As the two treehouse kids get zapped away by the glowy Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner visits his mother in the ICU of a Hollywood hospital. The doctor says he's run all the tests he could think of on his mother, and they've all come up negative. They don't know what's causing her illness. As the doctor leaves the room, Kyle bemoans his absence with the bomb until he's summoned by the floaty head of a guardian of the universe. Upset about being called away on business, Kyle gets a few moments with his waking mother before he has to suit up and head out as Ion. But as Ion flies towards Oa, he senses a disturbance of the force that leads him to the exploded treehouse where the kids were. However, instead of random body chunks of 13-year-old lying around, Kyle finds the Tangent Universe Flash and Adam, who in true Marvel form, yes, I know this is DC, but at times the lines were starting to blur, the heroes fight, eventually leading to the Adam putting his fist through Ion's chest. Thankfully, this isn't like what Black Adam did, and Kyle survives, only to be magically replaced by Flash, placing the lantern on Kyle's chest, and swapping him out with the Tangent version of Green Lantern. And that's Ion number nine. So do you have any notes on this one? Um, you want to do just overall stuff right now or, or get the more specific stuff? Yeah, we can just uh, – I don't really have all that much for overall. At uh, least this has more to do with the tangent characters. Yeah. So uh, it also has a lot to do with Kyle and you know problems with his mom. I guess this will be worked out later in the uh, – in the Ion book, but uh, I like the fact that Ron Mars is writing this. Ron Mars did a, a lot of stuff during the Kyle Rayner Green Lantern run to develop his <laughs> secondary uh, characters like Kyle's mother and everything. So uh, I, I'm glad that this is uh, showing up in the book, but yeah, the tangent characters are what he, we're here to talk about. So Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to see the tangent characters back. Unfortunately, their role in in not just this issue, but the next one, it's kind of small. Mm-hmm. But it, it is um, it is good to see him back, and, and the biggest significance we're going to pull out of it actually comes from the next issue, so I don't want to, I guess, spoil that, but um, yeah, I guess I, I just don't have too many um, overall comments, really. Yeah, I, I, like I said, it was nice to see Ron Mars coming back to write Kyle Rayner. It was nice to see the Tangent characters come back, even though at this point in time, they seem a bit off they don't seem like the Adam's the one who kind of seems the most off he seems very grim mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if that's uh, just a part of the writing times of this or uh, you know I for the fact that Ron Mars is writing this I think he would have a better handle on the character since he was involved in the original tangent run but it, it's like I said, it's nice to see the characters back. The artwork is good throughout the book. Um, it's just uh, it's just a little surprising. I don't know exactly what's going on, so I, I think we might get a little bit more in the next book. Okay, let's go ahead and do that, and then we can kind of talk about it as a whole, I think. Easy. Sounds good. All right, well, the next one, of course, is Ion Guardian of the Universe number 10. It came out on March of 2007 and was released on January 31st of 2007. Uh, same cover price. Title was Tales of the Green Lantern. The writer was Ron Mars. Pencil of this time out was Greg Tuccini. The inker was Jay Liston. Letterer Rob Lee, colorist Tanya Richtori, assistant editor Adam Schlagman, and the editor was Eddie Braganza. As the Tangent Green Lantern gives her spiel about whole universes that have been and could be again, former Green Lantern and now Ion Kyle Rayner finds himself floating in an endless area of red something or other. Eventually, Kyle finds the two kids that were lost in the treehouse and tries to find a way out of this place for all of them. 
However, what Kyle does find is a bunch of ugly beasties entering to the Sea of Redness, as well as a guy in weird armor fighting them off. After some McFightenstein, Ion finds that the armored guy is actually Captain Adam, who has been using the Bleed, the name for the area that they're in, to travel to multiple places and avoid the monitoring eyes of the monitors. Then, for some reason, we switch to a kid playing on his new Nintendo Wii, and then it's back to the Talkie Talk, where Captain Adam explains the multiverse to Kyle, and the Tangent characters use Green Lantern to swap people for on Earth for Manhunter, Joker, and the Spectre from the Tangent universe. But all of that is broken up by Kyle popping out of Green Lantern's chest and swapping the Tangent heroes back to their own Earth. Crisis averted, Kyle heads back to Oa, drops off the Green Lantern with Guy Gardner in an awesome cameo, and gets his next marching orders from the Guardians. Orders that lead him to a planet occupied by dozens of dead Cordian weaponers and one very alive Donna Troy. I'm like, uh, again, the sad thing is we came into this supposed to be looking for the tangent characters. And unfortunately, I'm more interested in what's going on in the Ion storyline. <laughs> you know, we've got uh, interesting cameos by Gard- Guy Gardner. We've got Donna Troy at the end of this. We've got a uh, sickness with Kyle's mother. Uh, I, I enjoyed Kyle's mother and his interaction with her throughout the Green Lantern book. This Ion book looks really engaging. And we're supposed to be here for the tangent heroes who are just sort of placeholders here. Yeah, they they could really be kind of any random set of characters from another universe. It's just mm-hmm. it's neat for us because they are the tangent characters that we've been looking at for I guess the past nine months. But story wise, it it doesn't have to be them. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It could have been any any group of characters that could have swapped out from the different universe, and I guess what's going on is because all of this is happening post infinite crisis there the idea of the multiverse or multiverses are sort of coming back into play Mm -hmm. so now we can have this bleed over no pun intended uh to uh different universes interacting with the current day dc universe so it's interesting that they're trying to work something out but i think this is just sort of set up for what's going to be happening in superman's reign or at least that's what i'm assuming it's going to be Mm -hmm. yeah well well it feeds into the justice league issue that we're going to talk about here in a little bit which then acts as a a prologue to superman's reign so Mm. yeah for this book i've got a couple of notes i like the i like the cover is kind of an homage to a tangent cover. It's got the sort of starburst type feel that all the tangent covers has. Plus it's got the tangent logo up in the uh, upper right hand corner. That's always nice. Yeah. However, some of the character designs are a bit off. Um, They look a little sketchy. Yeah. Power girl looks a little different. She looks, uh, she's still got her anime look, but she's very, she's much happier than she was in the power girl issue. And Adam, Adam looks like he had too much you know, cheese. 
yeah, way too much cheese, and he's he's wishing that his uh, density manipulating powers could get him past <laughs> that. <laughs> wow. So, sorry, I went for a poop joke. Well, I did blocking earlier, so I might as well go for the. We might as well wake this PG thirteen today. I think Green Lantern looks pretty good, which yeah. is odd because you'd think with her costume that would be the one that would most easily uh, fall flat in the hands of the more comic booky artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I'll have something to say about Green Lantern costume as we get into the get into the book. In fact, it, okay. it, if you if you want to look at that first splash page, yeah. do you know how I know that this is set in the more mature or not really mature, the more adult? 2000s how do you know green lantern's costume here nipples oh there you go you know and and the although, rest of the times although batman had nipples in 1987 well that that's true but so. that was that was joel schumacher being <laughs> weird yeah. but the, i mean every other time that she's been drawn when jh williams drew her throughout the book you know she was a female figure but she didn't have accentuated pointy nipples on her dress and it just I'm certain it it makes her more titillating and I'll have things to say Mm. about other designs of costumes later oh (laughs) I didn't even know that I did that (laughs) that's somehow but um yeah it's just it's one of those things that I'm I'm not trying to be a prude but I'm like why does this need to be drawn is uh, do, yeah. do, do we need to see something around her crotch showing different folds or things? We don't need to see no. this. This is a comic. No one needs to see that. Yes, but uh, yeah, that's just kind of it was just one of those things I saw and was like, why? Um, I had it's, no. It's I, the aughts. I, I don't know. I guess I had no idea because I wasn't reading comics at the time what the bleed was. I guess this is sort of the interdimensional portal between universes. And I did a little research on it and supposedly it wasn't initially called the bleed. It was more referred to as limbo, but it was, it sort of came up in an early justice league issue back in the uh, silver age, but it's been used more uh, recently as sort of a transdimensional portal between different universes, And that's how you get from like earth a to or earth one to earth two or whatever, stuff like that. Hmm. So, right. I really like this. Isn't I? I, I really like the the, uh, the kids' dialogue on four to six here. Mm-hmm. It, it it seems very natural and believable dialogue from these kids, and you you get a sense that they're scared, but they're still being kids and you know fawning over girls and motorcycles and stuff. And I, I really like that. Yeah, I, I I think I think Ron Mars has a good narrative design with his with his stories uh kyle feels right the kids feel right uh the little kid who's trying to trying to feel up the construct flash here that's i mean that's something i could see the young pre-teenage or teenage child would or pre-teenage boy would want to do because well let's face it the flash is kind of hot she's supposed to be alicia silverstone-ish right um while we're kind of on the subject, let me ask you this, just real quickly. Does this, given that they were both written by Ron Mars, does this feel like the same person that you were reading when you were in the Mars run of the Green Lantern book over on Just One of the Guys? It feels, once again, coming with the times, he feels a bit 
his dialogue feels a bit more dark. Mm. And, you know, he he starts to use a bit more profanity. I mean, it's not like he's turned from you know Mister Rogers to uh, Martin Lawrence, but um, you know he, he he feels a bit more sure. But the the dialogue of the character and the way he expresses himself and the way he acts seems a lot like what I'd think of as on the Mar or on the Ron Mars run. He may he may have picked up a little of what Judd Winnick had done with him, but he doesn't feel like a character that's being written by someone who's never had any experience with the character. Okay. Um, um, yeah, a, a lot of the stuff with like Captain Adam and the, the you know, the monitors and him hopping to the, the Wildstorm universe and all that, that's, it's, it's not all that important to us. And there was just so much going on with the DC books at this time. And it's all tied together to the point that, you know, looking at it years later out of context, it, it doesn't really mean anything. Mm hmm. Yeah, in fact, I, I didn't even catch that that was the Wildstorm universe until I saw. Oh, that's Grifter there mm-hmm. on that on that one sort of. Uh, and, and this artwork looks a lot different. This the artwork on this page I'm looking at the splash where Captain Adams talking about how he's transported himself throughout these various universes looks kind that's of built. Yeah, it looks painted and it looks different than the other artwork. I, I wanted to say sort of Billson Kevich that sort of a little bit yeah st- stylized look, but um. It, it, it breaks it up and it gives it a different feel from the rest of the book. You know, I, I don't know what was going on with Captain Adam as well, but I guess he was traveling through these universes. So there you go. Uh, but then we get back to the tangent characters, um, Flash, Adam, and now Green Lantern, and we get cameos, like Sean said, by Manhunter and the Joker and the Spectre and, um, you know. Yeah, I, 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 I like that. I would have liked to have seen more interaction with these characters i guess what has to happen with green lantern is she swaps these people and Mm -hmm. so that's why the tangent characters are in this universe i do like uh the sort of uh, on this page and the pages aren't numbered here but the page where the all that happens the sky suddenly turns red which is a nice nod to crisis you know whenever a crisis comes along you know the sky turns red so Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of neat. Well, I think I remember reading somewhere that that bleed, like when there's hinkiness going on with the dimensions and stuff, that bleed starts to like seep into the various universes, and that's why the skies turn red. Okay, that would so, make like, sense. As the, as the barrier fall or starts to fall here, and they're swapping characters around, that's what's happening. Well, that would make sense. I I, I like that idea there. That. That, that totally works for me. Uh, but um, I don't really have any notes until the end, except uh, except for Guy Gardner's cameo. You know, I I'm, I like the way Ron Mars writes Guy, and I Good. like, you know, as much as I loved Guy Gardner, even in his goofy warrior phase, you know, I, I like when he's written well, and Ron Mars does a good, good job of writing him here. And, you know, I, like I said, Guy's just fun, so I'm happy to see that. One and... Thing- Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just going to go to the end. Do you have go ahead and say what one you thing I did find intriguing, and I should have brought this up when we were talking about nine because it's more prevalent there. But all the dialogue from the tangent characters is lifted from their original books, and that's not something they really carried on to the next issue or the the Justice League issue we're going to talk about. Hmm. So I don't really know what that's about. That I didn't even I didn't even make that correlation. That's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I I didn't know it was all 
I, I always I thought it was all new dialogue that they were putting in here, but that's that's kind of maybe it's just a way to say. I don't know exactly what that would be saying. Yeah, because hmm. it's not really. If you if you go back to issue nine when they first show up, what the tangent characters are saying isn't really lining up with what Kyle is saying. I mean, it, it kind of is, but it's not fluid. You know? Yeah, so it's kind of like, like they're, they're. It's almost like they're ghosts, but yet they're interacting with Kyle. So it's weird. Yeah, because they're. If you you also look at their speech bubbles, they're. Rather than Kyle's speech bubbles, they're covered with this sort of the green, green halo. halo around right. it. Yeah. But yeah, now now that I realize that that is dialogue that came in from the other comics. That's yeah. weird. Maybe yeah. I I'd put I'd put to you. I'd give you credit for the whole possibly them being ghosts or being phantoms of the other universe. So they're just like it's like comic pages being placed on this universe yeah something like that yeah maybe it's such a thing as the the uh the barrier between the universes wasn't as weak as it was by the time we get to the justice league issue or something i I don't know i'm trying to no prize it but oh it's it's an interesting idea and that was a good catch i didn't even realize until you know i noticed they felt kind of stiff and their dialogue felt a little out of place but now that you mentioned that their dialogue was lifted from previous tangent books and just put into this book it makes you think that why was that being done is there some sort of reason behind that and that's kind of an interesting idea um yeah it was an interesting couple of issues i mean i mm-hmm. not a lot of tangent stuff to talk about per se but I, I i wouldn't mind revisiting this whole series at some point um, not on the show but just uh, just as a reader yeah, as a reader, you know, I'm kind of, you know, I, I finally went to my uh, LCS and picked up these books, and they had the entire run of Ion Books, oh, and wow. I just picked up, I just picked up, you know, 8, 9, and 10 because I need to read them, oh. but now because I, you know, I may wait until they get a sale on them because they, were, they weren't in the cheapy bins, I may go, if, you know, the comic book, because free comic book day is coming up here pretty soon, and I'll go pick them up then and see if I could, because it's only a 12-issue run. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, I've been interested in the books, and the artwork is a bit different from what I'm used to, but it's not jarringly bad. So uh, I'm I'm intrigued by the book, despite the fact that the tangent characters weren't front and center in them. Yep, and is this? I think this is one of the last times Mars wrote Kyle Rayner, too, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I don't think he's come back. I don't think he's written anything on the uh, Green Lantern Corps or anything past that, which is. I I know he went and wrote the uh, Green Lantern retroactive '90s version, and he oh, and Daryl Banks did oh, it. I forgot about that, right? But but that's I think the last time that he actually came back to the Green Lantern character of uh, Kyle Rayner. So maybe it should just stay that way. As much as I like Ron Mars, maybe just yeah, going you know, on a high note would be a good thing. Yeah, that's true. And as I've covered on my show, uh, when he first left the Green Lantern issue, it felt kind of inventory-esque, mm-hmm. and I would have liked him to go out on a better note. But I haven't gotten to the end of the Green Lantern run yet, where Ron Morris comes back and writes Green Lantern. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. But this isn't a Green Lantern comic, or com- <laughs> this isn't a Green Lantern podcast. This is a tangent <laughs> podcast. So we had to talk about the tangent books, including the next one that we're going to be covering, which is Justice League of America number 16. 
Do we want to go ahead and take another break before yeah, we get let's into go that? Ahead and take a break. Yeah. Okay. One more promo, and then we'll come back for the Justice League issue. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Podcasting, The Final Frontier. This is the Hammer Podcast. It's 30-minute mission. To rehash geeky topics. To seek out new bastions of nerdiness. To timidly go where the more talented have gone before. The Hammer Podcast is the official podcast of the blog, The Hammer Strikes. Both the blog and the podcast come from the mind of your average late 30s geek. In other words, insane ramblings about science fiction and fantasy minutia. If that interests you, please visit thehammerstrikes.com. And we're back. Uh, go ahead, Michael. We're getting ready to tackle these, uh, the last issue we're talking about today. Yep. We're going to be talking about Justice League of America number 16, which has a cover date of February 2008, and it was released uh, December 19th, 2007, which was exactly one year after Ion number 9. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Cool. And it has a cover price of $2.99 or 365 Canadian and 32 pages. And there are two stories in the book, but we're only going to be covering the first because the second has absolutely nothing to do at all with the Tangent characters. Uh, but the credits for that 15-page story are Dwayne McDuffie, writer, Joe Benitez, penciler, Victor Lamas, inker, Rob Lay, letter, letterer, Pete Pantazis, colorist, Benitez, Lamas, and Pantazis, cover, Adam Schlagman, assistant editor, Eddie Braganza, editor. And the story is titled... A brief tangent. So a pair of bumbling crooks named Paul and Al break into a New York City storage facility, and among the bounty inside are sundry amounts of superhero memorabilia, porn, and a very familiar Green Lantern. As names like Joker, Adam, Sea Devils, and Manhunter make ghostly echoes in the facility, the lantern emits a blinding green glow before striking Al in the chest with a flash of light, causing him to disappear and leaving in his place one very PO'd Tangent Universe Adam. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, Red Tornado intercepts a report about a break-in, or about the break-in, and Green Lantern John Stewart, Red Tornado, and Black Canary investigate. The JLAers get up to speed from the on-scene officers and the other burglar, including learning how the first officer who, who investigated has gone missing as well, and as John tries to contact Guy, Black Canary and Red Arrow confront the Atom, who is still inside the facility trying to get the Lantern to work. With weapons drawn, Black Canary and Red Arrow try to talk to the Atom, but his replies are... Curse at best, and soon it's Fighty McFightenstein, copyright Andrew Leyland and Hickett's Comics, with Adam easily gaining the upper hand. Red Arrow and Black Canary are separated in the melee, with Canary catching up to Green Lantern, 
helping him contact Guy and finding out how the lantern works. When they meet back up with Red Arrow, the Atom is unconscious, inexplicably, by Red Arrow's hand. Crisis averted, Green Lantern, Green Lantern is able to use his ring to activate the lantern, sending the Atom back to his own universe and bringing Al the Thief back to theirs. And as the JLAers reboard the Quinjet, we get some narration from an unseen person, dealing or telling, detailing how they arrived a little too late. Not my fault, though, says the voice. Being zapped from one dimension to another is disorienting, even the second time around. And the missing patrol woman, the voice continues, I'm pretty sure I know what happened to her. The lantern struck her with one of those green energy bolts, and she was whisked away to another dimension. And as the camera pans up to a nearby rooftop, we see the person behind the narration, someone in a similar position as the missing patrol woman, Leah Nelson, a.k.a. the Tangent Universe Flash, now stranded in the main DC Universe. There's big trouble with the capital B, a super colossal calamity, a tremendous, stupendous catastrophe, and here we come out swinging, and when we're swinging, man, we're bringing big trouble with the capital T for any souped up super enemy on Earth or in space or land or sea. Hey, dude, we put on a show anywhere the four winds blow. When we get the call, watch us go. The Justice League, yeah, the Justice League. Oh, the Justice League, that's the Justice League. Now, this one had a lot more to do with the tangent characters yes. than that actually had them interacting. So I like this a yeah. lot. Um, I'm, I've always been a fan of Dwayne McDuffie's storytelling mm -hmm. ever since uh, some of his early stuff. I don't know if you ever read uh, the Marvel series Damage Control. I have never read any of his Marvel stuff, but I've heard uh, Damage Control is hilarious. Damage Control is hilarious. Uh, you know, he, I know he's done a lot of work on the DC animated stories. I think his last story, unfortunately, was... Um, all-star superman yes. that he, he he sort of uh, wrote for the wrote for the <clears throat> animated uh, movie and i think he did a great job with that he's had a lot of work with i believe the dc animated stuff on tv he's just a great writer and i enjoyed really reading this i know he had a pretty good run on justice league of america from this time and you know again was i wasn't a very turbulent run because he got meddled with a lot from the dc higher-ups really yeah and and he kind of spoke out about it on his website or whatever and they ended up firing him for his comments that he made kind of he, he was basically airing dirty laundry and i can understand why they got upset about that yeah um, but but he he did pull together a good run given all the uh the editorial in interference that he was dealing with at the time see that's that's disappointing because I, I like his writing. I like – even though we're dealing with sort of the B-list Justice League characters, I mean I, not to say anything negative about uh, Red Arrow and Black Canary and and uh, Green Lantern John Stewart. But you, you look at the cover here and you've got John Stewart, but then you've got Wonder Woman, Superman, and Batman on here. And right. three of these people are not in the book. Right. So it, it's it's kind of a tease, but it doesn't matter. Um do you want to talk a little bit more about the cover? Um, Do you have anything on the cover? Yeah, I mean, I like the design and the layout. There's a lot of colors going on, but it, it all works together surprisingly well. Um, I like that we see the tangent versions of Superman, Green Lantern, Batman, and Wonder Woman with their DCU counterparts in the background. 
and I think all of those characters look good. Unfortunately, the Flash, who is the centerpiece of the cover, mm-hmm. does not. Yeah, she, her face looks all kinds of wonky, and she looks way too out of proportion. Remember those uh, Bratz dolls that were popular? Oh, sweet God. She looks like a Bratz doll. Yes. Yeah, my daughter's had a lot of those Bratz dolls, and she does definitely look like that. She's, And the thing about the Bratz dolls were they were like, let's just call a spade a spade. They were like slutty Barbies. <laughs> and I don't want I don't want Leah Nelson the Flash to look like a slutty Barbie. So I will just... say she looks better here than inside, but we'll get into that. Yeah, okay. Uh what do you have uh, you know, going into the book, I've got to assume that this storage place where they're finding all this stuff is where Guy Gardner stored all his stuff when he has moved the Warriors bar. Now, I've got to assume that now he's Green Lantern again. He's basically shut down the Warriors bar that was the staple in the 90s and early 2000s, mm-hmm. you know, before Jeff Johns took over as a writer of Green Lantern and brought Guy back into the Green Lantern Corps. So I've got to assume all this stuff is from Guy's Warrior bar. Right. And as I re- if I remember correctly, at this point... Guy and I want to say John were actually living on Oa. Mm-hmm. I, th- so. I think that's right. I've listened to uh, some of the Lantern cast, and uh, I think that's kind of what happened in this area, mm-hmm. in this era, that the two sort of got shunted off. And I think Guy even may have opened up a version of the Warriors Bar on oh, Oa. Yeah, I remember that, right. They so never, I think that's it. They never really dealed with or dealt with it that much, but yeah. So, yeah, that that's primarily why all this stuff is in storage here. I'm, I'm kind of amused that Guy would keep this hugely powerful weapon, though, in a storage locker in New York City. I mean, it, it does kind of play into that bothersome portrayal of, of Guy as a brainless lunkhead, but it's kind of funny, too. So. No, I, I can agree with you. And I, I, the fact that Guy really didn't take it all that seriously... <laughs> Right. doesn't surprise me all that much. I mean, that's guys like, oh, it's a paper lantern. Oh, just put it in storage. It's fine. <laughs> right. I do like on that third page that we get a, a Justice League roll call. Yeah. That's all. I don't know how often this was done in the books, but I like it here. It's a nice callback to the uh, early days of or the Silver Age of the Justice League and the Justice Society where you'd have these roll calls. So this is fun. Yeah. And we get an Atom logo here. In, in the speech balloon when the tangent atom appears and it it it's actually the logo that was being used on the atom ongoing that was being published at this time but it's really similar to the one used on the tangent atom book hmm. and I did a little digging around and both versions were designed by Ryan Hughes oh that's neat well that's cool I, I'm, I'm glad to see because we I don't think we mentioned it on the cover for that uh, Ion issue, number 10, his Tangent logo was used up there as well. And Mm -hmm. obviously the design was much more like the Tangent Universe books. So I'm glad that Ryan Hughes, I'm hoping that Ryan Hughes got at least a little bit of money or something, or at least notoriety for having his stuff used on the Ion book. Right. And it's kind of, uh, that logo is kind of incorporated on the cover of this issue too, down in the corner. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've got the arrows and all that. I don't think that I don't think the T looks the same. No. 
now the T's a little extended out, but uh, that does have the sort of circular pointed arrow thing going out, yeah. the pinwheel type thing. Um, the next page, Red Tornado got blown up. That's surprising. That's never happened before. I don't know. I don't know why they did this. This is a completely new thing. I think that comes from 52. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah, that's probably the first time ever that Red Tornado oh, has like, ever been blown up. You know, I don't think it's ever happened before. Um, pages five and six. One thing I really like about, or like, yeah, like about Dwayne McDuffie is how he was able to pack a lot of character and, and emotion into tiny moments. And I think he does that here with Paul, um, the thief that was left behind. He only has a few lines, but you get a real sense that this guy is, is scared and, and worried about his friend. And I really like that. Mm-hmm. I also like the artwork on these pages. Everyone looks different individually. Um, I yeah. like that that the characters, especially Black Canary, I don't think she looks too out of proportion. Here. Uh, yeah, here. Um, I'm certain there are other times where she will, but I like the artwork. Benitez does a good job with the artwork in here. Mm-hmm. Um Let's see. My next note is uh, on, I guess it's on page 11. These pages aren't numbered. Where Guy Gardner is fighting the space beastie. Every uh, book is... eight. Oh, that's eight? Okay. Yes, I had a similar note. Every, every time that Guy Gardner is in the book fighting something and being obnoxious makes the book better, in my opinion. <laughs> you know, uh, And I love he's using a giant Green Lantern chainsaw construct to try and fight this thing. That's just... that. That's fun. Yeah. Um, can we go back one page? Yeah, sure. Just on the art here, on Black Canary. Sorry, mm-hmm. no. Oh yes, her I mean, legs. Her, yeah, they're, yeah, they're her- twice the length of the rest of her body combined, and I'm pretty sure her waist is only slightly larger than her neck. So yeah, the yeah, I, I will admit. Yeah, and the thing is, you look at the preceding page of that. She looks fine there. I mean, well, uh, the waist she looks awful. a little. She looks a little skinny, yeah. but I don't think she looks. Yeah, well, maybe I am being a little bit generous. Her waist does look a bit mm-hmm. thin there. But yeah, I will admit that that one image of her legs, no one has thighs that long. No. Yeah. But still not the worst depiction in the book. No, we'll get to that Just here in a few. Yeah. Um, the fight between Red Arrow and uh, the Atom and Black Canary is nice. Yeah. Um, I like that the Atom uses his uh, density manipulation powers to sort of Shadow Cat or uh, Kitty Pride, Black Canary down to the first floor. That's a nice way of getting rid of her without being violent, without having trying to do any damage to her. Um, I I thought it was interesting that um, there's no exchange of names between the characters, and I like that. Because it saved us from having a repeat of the scene from the Ion issues where Black Canary and Red Arrow have to point out, you know, hey, someone else is the Atom, and and then they have to go through that whole explanation again. But it's mm-hmm. also a more natural flow of dialogue, I think. Because when you're confronting a threat, name checks aren't going to be your top priority. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's a credit, again, to Dwayne McDuffie's writing, that yeah. he doesn't feel the need to say, well, my name is the Atom. Who are you? <laughs> I'm Red Arrow. Right. I used to be Green Arrow, Sutton. You know, we get it. We're just the fight guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, getting back to the fight, of course, the Tangent Adam is going to be not much of a match for these two. I mean, he's one of the most powerful characters in the in that universe, and these two 
while highly skilled, have no superhuman abilities. Um, but still, I think it, it speaks a lot for... Um, well, I was going to say it says a lot for the character, but he's it, it's really more the use of the character that he's not the one doing the attacking. And mm-hmm. I, I think that speaks well for how they're portraying him because I'm glad that this seems like it isn't going to be a situation where the tangent characters come from another universe, so they must be the bad guys automatically. You know, fight. It, they're going to hopefully stay true to um, both characters, or all the characters' uh, depictions in their own books and universes. Yeah, I agree. In this one, I felt more like the tangent characters were better represented than the yes. Ion books. Uh, Adam felt more like the hero that he is, because in this one, he's it looks like he's searching for something and he's not outright attacking them. He's defending himself. Right. So, yeah. so it, it, it makes more sense here in this book. Uh, he, he feels more like the tangent universe version of the Adam for some reason transported over to our universe rather than some villainous character that, that the DC universe has to take on. Right. Um, we get some nice interaction between guy and Dinah. Mm-hmm. which is which is not uncommon Dinah was during the JLI issue would always call out Guy and mm-hmm. you know I, I like the fact that she's the one who's able to just basically yell at him and tell him <laughs> to listen to her although I will I will say that uh, that fifth panel there that's just Guy looking up at him Guy looks kind of like a goon I'm, yeah. I'm not all that impressed with his look on him but you know when when he when uh, Benitez draws him like as a full figure away like that middle panel he looks fine his face just looks a little off um let's see if i have any other notes uh i don't really have any notes until the final splash i'm wondering if um we, we don't see how red arrow took down the atom but i'm wondering if he had a deus ex machina arrow in his quiver I've got to. I've got to assume because you're talking about yes, someone who's skilled in martial arts and everything, going up against a person. You know, all all the item had to do was you know use his density powers to make his skin almost impenetrable, and Red Arrow could hit on him all he wanted. He could just stand there and go, not feeling anything, nothing, no, not there. No, uh, even that kick right there. Here, I'll spread my legs. It doesn't matter. You can do it all day. Nothing. So yeah, it's you've got to assume something goofy happened, but uh, just go with it. It's comics. Does it bother you that the leaguers didn't really mention the uh, missing patrol woman? Yeah, it kind of does. Uh, there, obviously, the concept they had in the Iron Book was if the tangent characters have to switch out, they have to switch out with someone from their universe. Right. So the Adam's gone back, and this criminal who was trying to break into Guy's locker is back, but the patrolman is gone. So the fact that they're not worried about that kind of gives me a little concern. But you know, again, story element, and you have to have the Flash come in and be trapped in this universe. So comics again. Yeah. But um, do you want to get to the thing that I think we're going to be uh, kind of complaining about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if want is, is the right word, but I think mm-hmm. we need to touch on it. The, the mm-hmm. last page of the story is a full-page splash of The Flash. Um, the way it's framed, you see from about mid-thigh to the top of her head. And she looks... 
really bad. It's it's, it's a very hypersexualized portrayal of what is meant to be a teenage girl. And mm-hmm. it, it, I I don't like it at all. Yeah, and I, I, neither of us are prudes. You know, we both we both can enjoy the female form, but this is supposed to be a teenage girl. And what you have here is now granted when when like Pelletier, Pelletier and even when Gary Frank was drawing the costume, she had the sort of diamond opening in her chest that showed her navel and everything. Mm-hmm. This one cuts up even high. So you've got, I hate to say it, you've got under boob. And the bikini briefs are also very high where you're showing you're showing her crotch as well so it's the gary frank stuff looks mild compared to this mm-hmm. you know i i like i like i'm going back to i loved pelletier's version of it it looked like a fun bubbly youthful teenager this looks and i think you nailed it when you said this looks like a brat doll mm-hmm. it's her lips are way too accentuated You've got the uncomfortable design, which is showing way too much skin. You know, I and I hate to sound like a prude, but this doesn't. This this is supposed to be a teenage girl, and I'm not. I'm not comfortable with the design of the costume and the way this is being drawn. Now, if this were Black Canary, or if this were an adult superhero, I might be more forgiving, but this is a teenage girl and it just makes me feel uncomfortable Mm -hmm. writing wise the last couple of pages and i'm really sorry to use this word but it's a nice reveal of the character Mm -hmm. but the art just on that last page just i'm sorry it's 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 bad yeah and and again you get the thing of her waist being way too small Mm -hmm. i mean in general, I liked Benitez's art throughout the book. There are yeah. a few minor portions in this, but his female figures look way too stylized. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the things I wish people would get away from in comics is making these hyper-realistic, overly sexualized female figures because it, it does nothing to enhance the eye. It does nothing to bring women readers in, I would think. It, when, when women take a look at this and see this is how they're supposed to be and I'm not trying to go off on a sort of feminist screen but this is not how normal women look and it's uncomfortable I mean you know it's it's not like you I like Benitez's work and you know a few wonky things I I think his uh, his pages I like how he lays out pages they're easy to read they're easy to follow he's a good storyteller in that regard most of the time, his male characters have looked fine. The Black Canary stuff was hit and miss throughout the issue, but, you know, I would say probably more hit than miss. But this is just not at all. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe we should just move on. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, think we should, I think we should close this one up and hope yeah. that we get better things when we move on to the next yeah. bunch of books. Um, if you have a physical copy of this, be sure to read the backup. We're not going to talk about it because it's not tangent-related and we're, you know, we're not going to cover it. But it's just a short little holiday tale by Alan Burnett, and I really enjoyed it. I don't mm-hmm. think Sean did so much from what he said before we started recording. But Well, I, I, I liked it. It was a fun little tale of basically Red Arrow 
hunting down a person who was a reformed criminal and finding out sort of uh, it was a sort of Christmas story. Mm -hmm. It it wasn't bad, but again, it didn't really have anything to do with the tangent universe. So it was one of those things where it was nice to see it in the book, but it didn't really have anything to do with what we were going to be talking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going to cover it. I just wanted to recommend for the folks out there if they Mm -hmm. wanted a, a good story. Um, this uh, the, the Ion issues we covered were reprinted in Ion, the Dying Flame trade paperback. And the Justice League issue was reprinted in Justice League of America, the Injustice League, hardcover and trade paperback, and in Tangent, Superman's Reign, Volume 1. So if you can't find the uh, physical copies and want to get the trades, you can go that route. But that's all I got. Same here, you know. Uh, you know, it was an interesting sort of. It was an interesting way to, after almost a decade of the heroes being, you know, placed back in their universe, to sort of bring them out. And I can kind of see why they would be being brought out because the whole change is being brought up with the Infinite Crisis and everything. Mm-hmm. So, I'm interested to see where the Superman Reign books takes us and what we're going to be reading at that. Yes. So uh, next time out, we're going to be taking a look at, uh, I guess, the last, well, maybe not the last version of the Tangent Universe in the uh, coverage of the 12-issue series of Superman's Reign. But that'll be coming in, what, two weeks? Are we taking a break after this? Uh, No, we already had a break. Oh, we already had a break. We already had a break. That's that's right. We did. I should have realized that. (laughs) It's It's like a vacation from work. It just went by way too fast. That's true. So... So two weeks from now, we'll be tackling the first issue of Superman's Reign. We hope you guys will come back for that. And thanks, everyone, for listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Catch you next time, everyone. See ya. just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, greatcrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. It also can be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review maybe even a five-star one. Every review helps more people find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about the books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Send us an email at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your comments on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. And Sean hosts a number of podcasts, including Just One of the Guys, Walking Dead Wednesday, The Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Listen to the Prophets, and Who True Freaks. 
And all of these shows can be found over at twotruefreaks.com. Speaking of Two True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe, you only know the names.